Hello and welcome to Probably Science. My name's Andy Wood. I'm Matt Cushion. You always nail that. It's when you start it, we can never figure out what to say the second time. But when I start it, you always. Uh, yeah, I gotta say, I well, here's the here's the secret. I've been saying, I've been introducing myself using my name for over ten years now. Okay. <laughs> I, I learned it when I came out here. Obviously, back in England, everyone knows me, so I never needed. <laughs> that's true. That's true. There are five people. Yeah, and they each like, oh, he must be. He's not me, so it must be Matt. That's so what people would think. Jimmy but, Sweet Matt, and uh, uh, um, what's the other job British people have? Uh, I mean, there's scamp, but scamp. there is. <laughs> There is an overlap with chimney sweep, so I don't know. That's this. This is probably five years ago now, but do we still have? Can listeners still find that progression of of uh, British youth to adulthood that one of our listeners made? I don't. I, I don't know. Was it, it made for us, or did someone find it? I forgot. I think it might have been made for There's us. A bespoke chart. It shows the progression of how British children go from scamps to um, urchins yeah. to uh, chimney sweeps. To- Speaking of things that were made for us, actually, let's introduce our guests and let's then and then yes. get into the big box of things that were made for us as yes. well. Before we, I, I ran out of I ran out of sentence there. <laughs> I can I can take it from there. We were recently both guests on the wonderful Cracked podcast, and its host is here with us today, the wonderful Alex Schmidt. Hey, Alex. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank I you think for it, us. it might have sounded a little bit like I was going to spring out of the box, which is very exciting. <laughs> yeah. I think That's Alex was made by us. He was printed for us. Three <laughs> D printed. Alex came yeah. out of a box. <laughs> yeah, I do have an Amazon box sitting on my desk here on on, on the coffee table, and it's full of awesome three D printed things, courtesy of listener Jess. McGee. Yeah, so Jessica so a while cool. ago messaged saying, hey, you've mentioned 3D printing on the in the past on the show quite a lot and you like it and you've done lots of stories about it, but have you actually had anything printed for you? Because I have a printer and can do stuff. And then we went back and forth a bit and we were pretty useless. She was like, what do you want to print? Go to this website and tell us anything you want. And then we were pretty useless about actually going, this is what we want. To be, to be honest, I'm not sure I ever went to the website. I just c- tried to think when you have no parameters and someone's like, think of something you want, you can't think of anything. But if I'd just gone to Thingiverse, I could have probably found yeah. some. So rather than getting annoyed at our complete ineptitude and lack of uh, follow through, she instead just went and printed us up a whole box full of really cool stuff. And really, sent it. Yeah. And a lot of it is mysterious until you read the accompanying email to find out what these shapes do. Yeah. Because uh, like, right now, balanced on your leg right there, you've got what looks like just a little, like a pen holder or something. Just like a, or it could even be like a, a koozie with a, or would you yeah, put a look, glass in this? A beer beer. Yeah, it's a bit too small or, for a glass, but yeah. it, looks, it looks like the sort of thing you might have on your desk, like a little desk tied because yeah. uh, it's got from my perspective from where I was looking it's a it, cylinder it's a little cylinder but it's like a mesh cylinder mm-hmm. uh, blue plastic as many yeah. of these things are hold a tiny poster something like that it, yeah roll up a yeah, tiny yeah. poster it, and, and it, stick it right in there it was only when Andy <laughs> said look a little bit closer at what's actually on it you realize around the outside it's not little holes no. it's it's pie it's the, the first pie I'm guessing the ha- first um, I'm gonna make an estimate here if that's 10 I'm gonna guess this is probably like five. the first 500 digits of pie I gotta look it up. Then also in the bottom, if we looked, there is the numeral pi or the symbol. What is the word? Oh, look what, at that! What do you call the Greek letter the pi? Greek, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just say the number pi. The number, the pi. number pi is <laughs> the on the bottom. Is on the bottom. <laughs> and then round the outside has an estimate of the number pi. Yes, <laughs> very very inaccurate. Only five hundred digit estimate. And then we got a bust of Albert Einstein in here. We've got some tugboats. Um, some if you go 3D poop emojis. Andy's Instagram, yeah. he posted some of this stuff. Yeah, it was a story, so it might go away. I, th- I believe this is a human heart. And then um, this really cool illusion. This Yeah, really fancy optical illusion thing. It looks like... It's incredible. It, yeah. This this is remarkable. I, I guess, I don't know who first discovered or posited or created this mathematical shape, but it looks like... It, lo- it looks like a slightly... What was once a cylinder, a def- but it's been slightly deformed cylinder. Deformed so like it, as if you just taken like a toilet roll tube and just squashed it slightly, so it's got a little bit of crease down the edges. But then also the uh, the but the top is a bit wavy it, as well. Are, yeah, the ends are wavy. So I just didn't. I just thought it was a cool looking thing, and then I read the email. I was like, oh wait, hold it up to a mirror, and this is remarkable. Yeah, I, it, when, when you hold it at an angle where it looks like the two-dimensionally to you to be a cylinder the reflection in the mirror opposite you is that of a rectangular prism so you, the cross section yeah the cross section is, circle yeah. is the weirdest the thing yeah square. <laughs> you hold you look at the two images you look at the image the the image in your hand and the reflection of the image and it looks like from 
one of the things has a cross section that is a cylinder and the other one has a cross section that is a square. It's crazy. And you're like, how yeah. can the reflection of a cylinder, how can the reflection of a circle <laughs> be a square? And then you rotate it slightly. Yeah, and then you rotate it slightly so that the one in your hand looks like a circle, and then the reflection looks like a square. Like it flips around. It's very, very weird. I forgot to show you this, which I made a video of also. And I guess I could just. uh, What's the easiest way I could post these? Um, I could post these to our Twitter. Yeah, probably that's Twitter. Um, This, if you hold it at the right angle, looks like a uh, sort of a Mobius. It looks like that impossible triangle. Right, you saw that video. The the impossible, the Escher triangle. Imagine the angle you could hold this at, where you could make it. Oh, I'll show you yeah. later. But I'll, yeah, I'll post these two uh, at Probably Science, the two videos I shot of those. Thank you, Jessica. That stuff's really cool. And um, It's very, very cool. Since you sent this, now we've suddenly had ideas of things we actually want. So maybe we're going to follow <laughs> up and ask for more things. Alex said he's had a, a cool uh, phone holder made. Yeah, I'm very lucky. My girlfriend has access to 3D printing and has made me like a phone holder where it's an elephant and it holds it in the trunk and it's adorable. And I also got like a cork holder where it's the front and back of a taper and then you put a wine cork in the middle as the body. So then when you're drinking wine, you're like, okay, cork, you're going to wait here. And then it sits in a taper. It's great. Oh, yeah, nice. It's fantastic. Much less mathematical stuff. This is awesome. I'm glad that there are so many math people and engineers who are into like stunts and uh, I forgot what a taper like looks like. I had to look it up real quick. Has They're a, a pointy... fun, fun, small pachyderm. They're great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's a little like a, a, an elephant crossed with an aardvark, sort of. Is yeah, you, sort of like uh, that. Yeah. Tiny elephant that's got a. Oh. Oh. Yeah, it's got a little like nubby nose on it. And yeah. It's very friendly. It, yeah. In real life, do they hold corks? <laughs> <laughs> All the time. <laughs> uh, oh, Don't the let o- them in the kitchen. <laughs> the other thing Jessica printed out was a sort of a 3D version of our logo. Yeah, like a, a bas relief, would you call that? Art majors out there, I believe. Is that the term? Wow, yeah. No? Yes, it's like a relief. freeze or a fresco. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. It's a chiaroscuro. <laughs> uh, is that a trump Louis? Uh, if, if, <laughs> painterly. It feels like what would be in the marble outside of the probably science towers if we were <laughs> if we were doing this podcast back in the sort of Renaissance era. <laughs> Renaissance? I <laughs> didn't how know you guys pre- said it that way. Yeah, yeah. Six years into the podcast, still learning. Still I guess learning. it's never come up on this show. Renaissance? <laughs> it sounds like someone's. What was there? There, there was one today in the writers' son. room. It was oh, a controversy. That, <laughs> that one has come up on this show before. I know that we've had. Yeah. I know we've had a controversy controversy in this room <laughs> on this show. Yeah, that way just sounds adorable. And like, I'll be Wait, like, oh, it, they did a controversy. Call it a controversy controversy. <laughs> what would you call it? Well, I'd call it a controversy controversy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I call it a controversy controversy, I guess. Yeah, that's true. But I call it a con- right, I, I guess I'd call it a controversy controversy. I guess I would so you'd call it a controversy I, controversy. I would actually call it the Which I, I would call it the controversy controversy controversy. <laughs> right. Contro- controversy <laughs> slash controversy <laughs> controversy. Yeah. And then gate on, on the end, you know? Really, <laughs> really nail it. Yeah. Yeah. I, Which is something that winds Andy up so much. Well, no, but I, I wish I'd done it on stage because I think Janine Garofalo did it and she did it in a way better way than I ever could, which is the fact that it's just the fact that there happened to be a hotel called the Watergate. Yeah, right? that's it. It was just the name yeah. of a hotel. And they took the end of that name and now it means controversy. Like, imagine if it, it had been like a extended stay America suites in it or something. <laughs> Janine Garofalo does a way better version of this joke, but if you had to call everything that happened since that, like her Holiday Inn Express or something, like, yeah, it was uh, deflate in Express or uh, I don't know. That's not what she... Her joke's good. My joke's not good, but you get the bones of it. You go fill in the blanks and make yeah. it into something. But. The Benghazi Super 8, like whatever right. it is. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave the light on for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Alex, well, we, we hey. briefly touched on what you do, but you, you are the host of the Crack Podcast. Yeah. You do many more things than that. You write and all sorts. I do, and you were both so kind to be on it and be great on it. Thank you for doing that. Oh, it's, and, it's uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. But we like to ask our guests this before we get deep into the topics. What is your background in science? It's it's interesting. I grew up in a very, very scientific family and didn't want to do any of it at all. Like My mom uh, studied biology and was in medicine and now teaches teachers to teach science. And my dad's in software and my brother got into, way into biology and then was torn because he also got way into chemistry and he had to figure out which to do. So he just did both and then became a doctor. Oh, and Jesus. then, and then meanwhile, I just wanted to figure out how to be Jack Benny and Steve Martin <laughs> at the same time. I thought that would be a really good path. Yeah. You're like, I, yeah, I couldn't decide between Jack Benny and Steve Martin. <laughs> so that's why I'm now a 
doctor of laughs. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and I also like have found that I love reading about science and finding out about it. And, and the, the concepts are so interesting to me that I try to get on top of it, but I've never worked in it in my life. How did you end up hosting the Cracked Podcast? Um, uh, through a combination of uh, luck and chance. And, uh, and also, I, I started working for Cracked years ago, and then uh, we grew that part of the site so much that I got to start to host the show after a while. And, and I feel like I'm interested in so many different things about life. Like, the idea of the show is just finding out why being alive is more interesting than you ever knew it was. And that covers basically everything there is. And so it's a real joy to get to get into all of that. It's Yeah, I can't yeah. believe when they relaunched that brand. I mean, first of all, it doesn't really bear much resemblance to the magazine of your... Um, yeah, yeah. But also you guys did, uh, I think, the only good version of the listicle that exists on the internet. Like this, oh, thank you. This yeah. phenomenon that had become so awful, you guys found a way to use that format and actually have great interesting information that was delivered well and written well so congrats on oh, making man. the listicle uh <laughs> tolerable <laughs> i mean i shouldn't even say that word is is pejorative but like you know having list based well, yeah. things that are great <laughs> yeah like it can't it, the container can be whatever you make it right and yeah right. we hope we hope it is a thing and many people besides me have made that a thing the site does but yeah i it's sort of my dark secret that i also openly tell people that i have never read the cracked magazine like i didn't totally I know it I was a magazine when either. i got into the site yeah oh you didn't even know it was not really yeah i i grew up without mad or cracked i didn't have like a comics newsstand or the, or comedy newsstand like that yeah. growing up yeah. I, I read Mad, but I don't remember ever laughing at it. I would just read it, I think. <laughs> I just read it like a book because it was never that funny. It was like a comic parody of Cheers where like someone's name is Black instead of uh, something that rhymes with Black. Like, like every Ted Dumson. Right. Like, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I see. Yes, correct. Norm is... Uh, Ner- I can't even think I've, of a bad enough. I've play never out. read an episode of uh, an, an issue of Mad Magazine in my it's, life. It's a lot of parodies of 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 TV shows and movies of the day done in comic book comic book style, and then there would be recurring things like Spy versus Spy. You've probably seen. You know what Spy versus Spy is, right? Yeah. yeah I don't know why sure. we're going into depth on Mad. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's the a full, whole the style, in, yeah. And, the, fold and, in, yeah. the last page was always something where it was a picture and some words, and then if you fold it along these lines and put it together, you see a different picture that forms, and the words make out a... Uh, there was a Simpsons episode, the all Idy Aller, but he didn't fold it quite well. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, but Cracked was sort of the sister publication to that, or brother publication, and then I think I remember hearing that even, like, Maybe it didn't predate it, but it's almost as old. They both date back to the 50s, which is yeah. kind of amazing. Yeah, they got us hoodies one time from the company that said established 1958. That's and crazy. I had to check myself on when the internet came around for a second. And I was like, oh, right, magazines. That's I right, forgot. Magazines. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they were one of the. They actually predated. It was the website that predated the internet by over 30 years. <laughs> right. Imagine like a switchboard operator in the Eisenhower years. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, you want to read about history? Switching you over. And then like, <laughs> going into a thing and it's butt jokes come me, out. You send know. me to Klondike 5. Uh, yeah. You know about that? How the first two letters used to be... The first no, two I don't know that. About, they used to have the first two numbers of a seven-digit phone number expressed as a word made up of two of the letters on those two numbers made oh, into a word. The past was terrible. Right. This was only like, I think <laughs> what a even tough in the time. 60s, maybe, because I saw my parents' yearbook, there would be, the ads for local, like, florists and things would be, um, I don't know, promenade, whatever it was, the first two letters of that, if you press the corresponding number with the same wow. letter number system we have on phones now, because there would oh, be... Oh, that's so, very American. Like, we never had that. I think maybe... I'm still imagining just so an few... operator system where it's like, sort of, hello, operator. Get me five surprisingly cute animals that are more dangerous than you think. <laughs> but if you see old movies and they ever say KL5 or Klondike 5, that's because KL are on the five. So that's the 555 thing in movies. Oh. They have fake phone numbers because no real numbers have Yeah, Britain never really did the, the letters to numbers thing until texting came along. Oh, interesting. It wasn't really a thing. Yeah. It would be more like phone numbers were all, it would be the town and then like a five digit number. Well, that's what I'm saying. Basically, the first two. Uh, numbers were probably just the, the 
the only ones that town would have. So there's a time when you could just say that word to imply the town. Then maybe there's a time when there were like, like two of those in the entire town. Like I think even growing up, like a lot of the phone numbers started with 99 in Ann Arbor. But I don't know. Anyway, this has been Phone Talk and uh, Mad Crack <laughs> Magazine Talk with old ass Andy Wood. Thank you for indulging me. You had to put a pencil in the number and you moved it all the way around until it stopped. And that's why they had 911 as the number for the police because it took a long time to do the number. Have you guys ever looked at all the other 11s to see what they all do? Because X11 is a thing for all nine digits. In America? Like if you fill in a different numeral. Oh, oh, I see. 311 is, you know, 411. I think 811 is like what you have to call before you dig holes in case there's power lines. <laughs> there's a 611. I forgot what that is. That, uh, I think 411's, uh, no, hang on. 411's information. 211's if you've seen like a nice looking tree. 311's just the best band. Yeah, just, right. yeah. just what was carved out of desks in my middle school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, fun fact while we're doing phone talk, um, 999 is the number in Britain. Uh, but for emergencies? For emergencies. Oh. But then 112 is a universal, is the international, uh, sorry, is the European emergency number. And all three of 999, 112, and 911 now connect you to the police in Britain. Oh, that's smart of them to take those. Because they, they added 911 after we got too many TV programs from America, and <laughs> kids were just going, well, that's the number for the police. You couldn't overdub Robert Stack <laughs> yeah. calling the show Rescue 999. Yeah. Someone, someone call 999. <laughs> just like deep British accent for that one second. Someone call 999. <laughs> it's just always the same voice. Someone's just recorded 99. <laughs> just press a button. But they've got to bleep it, like, if they've done live for some reason, like, they're trying to catch the bleeps on a live broadcast. They miss it sometimes. <laughs> 9199. The Henry Phillips. The Punch the Cloud. Great Still, film. One of the best jokes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Watch, uh... Also watch Punching Henry, which is a sequel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which... You can find uh, the acting stylings of Matt Kirsch. Oh, yes. How did hey. I forget? And many past guests of the show, but... Is that your first feature film? I think it is. Oh, no, 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 it's not. No, some friends of mine made a film in... that I briefly cameo in, in Britain that's set in the Edinburgh Festival, and I'm in that. Ah. Uh, called Peacock Season. Okay. I'm in that. Uh, but it's definitely my first... It's definitely my first... Actually, you know what? No, fuck it, I was about to say with name, but Peacock Season, they dragged in a few decent, like, chunky UK actors and comics. Oh, okay. I think, Wait, what, what do you mean, decent, chunky UK actors? Chunky, I mean, like, si career-wise sizable. Oh, I thought like you meaty. meant body type. Oh, there's that oh, as well. Yeah, okay. Zaftig. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. I just realized the card's full on this. This is still recording, so let me clear the card. One second. Okay, you're going to recognize the sound quality suddenly improving. I didn't empty the recycle bin the last time I emptied this memory card. I had 12 gigs free. I just didn't empty that damn recycle bin. But we got the backup we now. The backup. That's why we got that backup. Right. So you we, were saying yeah. chunky actors. I, there was some decent... I should have used this break to look up who was in Peacock season, but I know Reese Shearsmith from The League of Gentlemen and various other British, great British comedy things was in it. Okay. Uh, and I think Reese Darby was in it too, friend oh, of the show. Nice. And star of... Yeah. Uh, uh, I think... Jumanji, the the new one, whatever it's called, is has the distinction of having the most past probably science guests on it of any major motion picture, having both Karen Gillan and Reese Darby, right? Oh yeah, so and the fun movie. Awesome. Have you seen that yet, Alex? I actually I saw a part of it because my friend was watching it, and it looked pretty good. It's, it's, it's I watched way it than it on a plane right recently, yeah, and it's, it's very yeah. I, it's exactly that. I think it is objectively a good film, or I am subjectively, but I think it is like flat out a good film. But it was definitely improved by just going into it, going ah, this is some. Like you, the reaction yeah. you get all the way through is like, huh, huh, yeah, huh. Like if it's I were just 10. like every couple of scenes, you're like, no, they did that well as well. That was that was well done. I genuinely laughed, and I think if I'd been ten and seen that, that would have been like my favorite movie of the year, like that well, kind of movie, you know? Because it Not also that seems for ten year olds, but like, it, yeah, right, yeah. Well, it seems so separate from the original Jumanji. I don't know why it's the same franchise. You it's know, just because it's like a good idea. I guess they could just, just do. like updating that it goes from board game to video game. Is yeah, the only yeah. Thing that's um, yeah. Like I, I saw that trailer and I was like, yeah, that premise works. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, let's get into it. Once you're in it, The Rock has proven himself to be a good comedic actor. I don't, I don't want him to be for some reason. I, I don't want it to be a thing you can just will yourself to be. Right. But he's managed <laughs> to do, it. and also I'm sure he's taken a bunch of classes and stuff. But or I don't know how The Rock learns things. But uh, 
Yeah, he's he's actually pretty funny. He's yeah. legitimately good in it. Jack Black's good. Everyone's good in it. Yep. We got to get Karen back on. Is that get Is she doable now? <laughs> we had her on two episodes. <laughs> I think one of them was after the first Guardians came out, wasn't it or not? Uh, it was surf- definitely after filming because she had a shaved head. That's right. Okay, maybe uh-huh. we haven't because we took a picture of try. Like I think we took at least one picture with one of us comically wearing her wig. Oh, she brought her wig. I don't. I think that. so. Maybe that was from a different occasion. But anyway, anyway, if you're listening, I'm sure she still listens. Uh, so, Karen, you're welcome back anytime. I'm sure she listens to every episode of every podcast and radio show she's been on, and every TV show as well. That's your duty as a celebrity. Yeah, she just makes the time. What a pro! Yeah. There we go. So we get into some stories. Let's get into some stories. We got loads of stories. <laughs> I thought maybe we could start with one. So the episode of the Cracked Podcast that we were on with Alex was titled. I want to get this exactly right. It's a little long. I'm not criticizing. <laughs> <laughs> it is called. It's just cracked. C R A C K E. Wait, why can't nine bizarre mistakes? that keeps screwing up your science news. So we talked about some of the things that have frustrated us. Hello, get me Coventry, nine mistakes from science. (laughs) (laughs) And then me in a a smart dress, just, yes, sir, and then switch it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm operating the board. Why did it matter that they were well-dressed when they're just plugging Because they care about their craft. (laughs) You can't be sloppy when you're connecting (laughs) one wire to another wire on a plug board. And yeah. sloppy dress equals sloppy mind Thank equals you. sloppy behavior. That's or, how we lose wars. That's why we're all wearing tuxedos right now. <laughs> or like we only saw them on the days they dressed up for picture day. And so in the rest of the time they were in bad shorts and you oh, know, like, like, stay and stuff. It's like but, school yeah. photo day. They yeah, like yeah. said, oh, right, we know you're getting your pictures <laughs> taken today. The newsreel man is coming around. <laughs> Get yourself Get in. Your beehive already. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I guess I'll shave my face. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know. Get, get your hair done or you'll never find a husband. <laughs> so true. Uh, so oh, I'm like, I'm Wives, like... wives galore. <laughs> and this switchboard, all right for the plucking. <laughs> Why, they can connect your phone call, present a listicle, and marry. <laughs> There's nothing these cracking girls can't do. You could make a living doing that if that was a thing people still paid people to do. <laughs> newsreels? Yeah. yeah. British newsreels specifically. <laughs> It's my favorite slash only voice to do. <laughs> it's a great voice. It's really good. Uh, so on that podcast, we talked about the frustrating... I mean, as we've said before, it's a tough job that science journalists have. Uh, yeah, for sure. But yeah. there are still things that are infuriating about a lot of the stories we've covered and, and tropes that are tired and things people get wrong and sensational headlines. So let's start with one that's... Uh, I mean, the story is legit. It's on nationalgeographic.com, but the, uh, the headline maybe is a little... Uh, so some a little rib- sensationalized? <laughs> some rivers are so drug polluted, their eels get high on cocaine. <laughs> and the high part of this is what I might be questioning later. But um, So yes, uh, critically endangered eels hyped up on cocaine could have trouble making a 3,700-mile trip to mate and reproduce, new research warns. And while societies have long grappled with ways to cope with the use of illicit drugs, less understood are the downstream effects these drugs might have on other species after they enter the aquatic environment through wastewater. So in the name of research, scientists pushed cocaine on European eels in the labs for 50 days in a row in an effort to monitor the effects of the experience on the fish. And this is not exactly... uh, getting high through the river, the scientists are doing that to the fish. So, uh, European eels have complex life patterns, spending 15 to 20 years in fresh or brackish water in European waterways before crossing the Atlantic Ocean to spawn in the Sargasso Sea just east of the Caribbean and the U.S. eastern seaboard. That's a long oh journey. God. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have thought eels could I go didn't realize. Lizzie Bacon sent in this story, by the way. Thanks, Thank Lindsay. You, Lindsay. Yeah, why do any of us care about salmon? Who cares? We got these eels. Eels are yeah. going across the across ocean. the entire Atlantic. They're uh, the winners. And sure, the coat keeps them going for a little bit. <laughs> that is a big ocean, and you got a nap. <laughs> just these fucking party. It's just constantly right. Um, the salmon are like, if we had cocaine, we'd be walking on land. Come on. Yeah, like, right? We don't need makes it easy. Fish ladders. <laughs> uh, so while the eels are also farmed for food, the wild population is considered critically endangered by the International Union for Conservation of Nature due to dams and other waterway changes that block their migrations 
overfishing and different types of water pollution. Uh, the eels are vulnerable to trace concentrations of cocaine, particularly in their early lives, according to the researchers of a study published in Science of the Total Environment, which I can't believe is the real name, but <laughs> that total... really does sound like yeah. total environment, total dude. Environment. dude. <laughs> We, we, let's not just restrict ourselves, man. Let's just do like let's everything. Just do the whole thing, man. Uh, so data shows a great presence of illicit drugs and other metabolites in surface waters worldwide, says Anna Capaldo, a research biologist at the University of Naples, Federico II, and the lead author of the study. She adds that. By, water- by the way, just just to pass that sentence that Andy just said, I want to make it clear: Federico II is still part of the name of the university. I think yeah. so, I guess. Yeah. It says Anna Capaldo, a research biologist at mm. the University of Naples, Federico II, which is... <laughs> I guess there was already a University of Naples, Federico I. Yeah. <laughs> they had to go for, like, University of Naples, Federico underscore two. Tokyo Drift. <laughs> right, the Federico University universe, something like that? I yeah. don't know what it would be. Legend of Curly's Gold. Um... <laughs> And uh, she adds that water near densely populated cities is even worse, with some research showing particularly high concentrations in the Thames River near London's House of Parliament. And then the, the Italian... That tracks. Yeah. A lot of cokeheads <laughs> by uh, the Thames. Fuck yeah. No, I mean, like, Charlie, specifically... Charlie heads? Specifically near the Houses of Parliament. Like, it's the politicians <laughs> and the journalists. Okay. Yeah. You can't and also just sit that, on that back bench without something. You sure. Know? Yeah. Well, that whole area as well, that whole... Where the House of Parliament is, that's also right near, on the other side of the river is the South Bank, where you've got all the sort of museums in the South Bank Centre. There's just a lot of... Coked out museum, <laughs> fans of fine art. There's a and... lot of, like, uh, rich rich apartment buildings and... Oh, okay, okay. And lots of, all the journalists, and then all, like, the main... Uh, Britain's National Theatre. How know. much of this yeah. is... It, yeah. do, you, do you think that journalists do more coke than the average person? Is a certain thing you're actually... Are you kind I of think, joking? No, I'd imagine it's a fairly cokey profession. Really? It certainly used to be, yeah, traditionally. I could, I could, I could see Quite that. Coke. I didn't really think and about bankers, it. And bankers, bankers, and stockbrokers. Yeah, like sure. From the eighties, that cliche I can picture, but I didn't think about journalists being. Uh, and I guess Parliament. Sure, I've seen, I've seen videos of what they do in Parliament. Those guys are definitely coked There's up. There's a lot of shouting. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and in the Italian Amo River near the Lise, uh, the the Pisa of. <laughs> it's not even a hard word. It's P I S. Well, I started reading the sentence backwards. I was going like I was about to say near the Leaning Towers of Tower Pisa, and then it said near Pisa. Of Leaning Tower fate. <laughs> so then uh, I was just like reading the sentence in complete the wrong order. We already got in trouble there. Why are they, why are they second? clarifying that Pisa is famous for the Leaning Tower? That's the Pisa thing. We all that's, know that. It's not like... Yeah, I guess that's... Yeah, but then again, <laughs> if it was so famous... Weird. Wait, now I'm trying to think of whether... You, are there other Leaning Towers that anybody knows? <laughs> like, did they have to qualify? I don't know. <laughs> really, Pisa or Leaning Tower, they both lead you to the same place mentally. Either word. Like, neither one has to qualify. Right. It's not like Paris, you know, of oh, Eiffel, Eiffel fame. Oh, I got it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, so back to administering this actual drug test. So Capalda and her colleagues put eels into water with very small levels of cocaine, about the same as that found in some rivers. Uh, they found the eels appeared hy- hyperactive, but showed the same general health as drug-free eels. But their bodies told a different story. They found the drug accumulates in the brain, muscles, gills, skin, and other tissues of the eels. The muscles of the fish also showed swelling and even breakdowns, and the hormones that regulate their physiology changed. These problems were even around after an enforced 10-day rehab period. <laughs> like they had to enforce it as if the eels had some say. Like, those eels tried to talk us out of it. <laughs> yeah. But we were strict in our no-cocaine policy. We searched policy. their rooms. We emptied <laughs> their, their pockets. We said, do you really want to... If you want to change... Stay. If yeah. you want to go, listen, it's up to you. I've written a poem about how you make me feel when you're on this. <laughs> Save it for group, eel. Save it for group tomorrow. Right. Why are there nine other eels in my cave? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's the eel intervention. <laughs> I thought it was a birthday party. <laughs> Okay, so yes, these problems uh, were even around after this 10-day enforced <laughs> rehab period for the eels. Um, so Capal- Why 10 days? I, Why I is that know. even the amount? That's a good eel rehab period. These scientists, they're just throwing darts at the wall, these guys, sure, doing sure. this. This is great. High, high-ass eels. Um, so Capaldo <laughs> says all the main functions of these animals could be altered. Particularly concerning is that cocaine increases cortisol levels, a stress hormone that induces fat consumption. The trouble in European eels needs to build up the trouble is, European eels need to build up fat before their migration. That makes sense. Um, 
to the Sargasso Sea to breed, and higher levels of cortisol could delay the timing of this journey. So all you British cokeheads are fucking up the transatlantic journey of these eels with your coke. Um, she also notes that increased dopamine levels the eels experience on cocaine uh, could also stop them from reaching sexual maturity. It's likely that in this condition, the reproduction of the eels could be impaired. On top of this, the muscle swelling or breakdown could impair the eels' ability to even reach the Sargasso Sea. Um, I'm still amazed they swim all the way to the Caribbean. I, that, that was the, the biggest amazed. takeaway for me. I didn't know that before this. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see what else we have. There's Emirati, not to be confused with. Isn't that the name of an Rossum? Em- oh, Emmy Rossum. Emmy Rossum. Yeah. Uh, a senior scientist at the Cary Institute of Ecosystem Studies. Um, Federico the Federico the Second, who was not involved <laughs> in the recent study, says that Capaldo and her colleagues used environmentally relevant concentrations of cocaine in their research. Which that, that was the part that I was curious about. Like, it's got to be such a trace amount. Like. I get that there can be effects to their physiology, but like, are they really acting that hyperactive? There's no way they're actually acting high, right? I don't know. Did Um, they try other drugs as well? (laughs) Well, they did say that uh, they've studied the effects of antidepressants, including Prozac and amphetamines on aquatic ecosystems, finding they change the bacterial or algal communities in water and can affect the growth rates and life cycles of insects. So, according to Capaldo, illicit drugs like cocaine are only part of the problem. These waters also contain residues from other illicit drugs, heavy metals, antibiotics, and pesticides. So, we're just fucking everything, basically. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know how any of these drugs get in the water supplies, too. I know that movie trope of somebody's going to catch us with cocaine, flush it flush down it. the toilet. <laughs> Is that it? Is that how we That's get it? That's a good question. Yeah, because pe- <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know a lot of cokeheads, but I know that they're not wasteful people. Um, they- oh, well, yeah, yeah. But wait a second. Yeah. Is it like I assumed it's. People, in your waste, in your body yeah, waste? that's what I assumed. It's oh. a, it's maybe some metabolized version, but I'm sure it's like it's passed through. Yeah, yeah you're pissing it out. If there is also because they treat the water for certain contaminants, but they don't treat the water for that kind of stuff. But I wonder how. I mean, not to get too, but you know, people who are hard up for a drug are hard up for a drug, and if there was still, I, I guess I just thought like by the process of you metabolizing it, you take away. You getting high from it removes that highness inducingness of the cocaine or something. Is it, and right, if that's not the think. case, why yeah. wouldn't somebody find a way to get it back out of their waste because oh, the drug God. is so valuable? I know it sounds gross, but like, but no, but, but, like, but I think they yeah. do. There was, hang on, who was it? It's a Portland comic who just told a story on this is not happening. It was meth, not coke, but she was oh, telling God. us. Uh, it's probably Jessa Reed. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> she, her story was about. <laughs> She's admitted to having. Had yeah, she had a she oh, had yeah, a meth yeah. problem, yeah. and it yeah. was about like her sister finding her trying to like save her piss to drink it to recirculate no the meth that she way. had. Okay, in her system. Well, if we have any Man. chemists listening, yeah, I'm curious if you if you if it's a hundred percent retained, if it's if that if the part we've of, got some pharmacists I think who listen to the show. There's no way you don't in the course of getting high remove its I don't what's know. the word I'm looking for its potency right, in that, that element regard, of or that, it or whatever, whatever it does that. I'm yeah. not actually yeah. sure because I think in some cases some drugs sort of need to metabolize in the system and that's how they then have an effect but others just sort of sit in your body for a while and they have an effect and then they get and they then they get passed out I'm, I'm not sure I'm this is so far out of my right can you scientific get, can comfort you get zone. drunk on uh, a ha- hangover pee like, you know, like no, I don't think because alcohol does get metabolized because that's changed. one of, yeah. and I can't remember again. This is bad science memory. Whether it's aldehyde, <laughs> it's either an aldehyde or a ketone. I can't remember which of the two it is, but that's what you smell on people's breath. You don't mm. smell the alcohol. It's a byproduct of its, it's again, being metabolized. Yeah, and again, please correct me on this because I'm sure <laughs> I'm I'm sure I'm getting it wrong because this is vaguely, very tenuously remembered A level chemistry from two decades ago. I mean, I really, really hope the overall answer is you cannot human centipede a drug and just keep putting it into yourself. That seems think- awful, and I hope it's not real. I hope it can happen. <laughs> because just if it can, someone everybody. listening to this is going right. to start human centipeding a very rare and expensive drug. Yeah. Well, that also would have, like, can can you fail a drug test from someone else's? Like, if, some, if someone else is the consumer... What do you mean? You're still the consumer if you're if you're any everyone in the human centipede is a consumer. 
there's no there's no one who's not a consumer in that chain. Yeah, like right. if you if you're like we've all seen that science documentary, Human Centipede, right? If yeah. you're the end of the chain, like let's say the guy, let's say whoever's at the back of the Human Centipede, then like gets released or whatever. I don't know. I haven't seen the film, so I don't know whether the, <laughs> back, the job is? I don't know whether the back or the middle person survives. But let's say they do, and then they have to go back to work the next day. Right. And they're like, but the person at the front had been smoking weed the day before they got human centipeded. <laughs> like, no, 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 boss. I don't know if you could tell from these massive scars around my mouth where I was sewn to someone's butthole, but I did not, in fact, smoke weed. The head of, the, the head of my centipede did. I shouldn't be blamed for this. Also, I don't know how I'm talking so clearly with this huge mouth injury that I have but I, uh, to be honest I shouldn't have even come to work today I should have <laughs> I should have taken a, two weeks off I should have taken a sick day centipede. on this yeah. one <laughs> I, I think, think most most jobs these days do offer human centipede leave it's it's a pretty common thing in the workplace even in America yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> you're right America's behind I mean if you that. have a union sure yeah, sure. yeah. The, the team I think teams the just cover human centipeding also <laughs> I was trying to write a trivia question about the Teamsters recently, and then I realized there's so much more than truck driving, as they want to make very clear on their website. So, oh, wow. It's a lot of different jobs. And then I also found out that most uh, truck drivers aren't union, like like 13% are, some very low percentage from a different oh, podcast interesting. I was to today. I assumed so that, what, that was like every truck driver is like, we're the strongest union, but I guess most of them aren't in a union. Yeah, what, what trucks do the Teamsters drive then? Are they doing distance, or are they doing like around a dock or something, you know? What, what trucks do they? What do you mean? Are they like? Are they doing distance shipping of stuff, or are they like driving trucks for a construction site? Or no, I don't really no, team, know what teamsters, teamsters do. Team, uh, truck yeah. drivers are a subset of the Teamsters Union, but the Teamsters Union also includes all kinds of other jobs, oh. like a lot of other jobs, and to the point that you couldn't even, as I was trying to do for this job, right? A trivia question leading to connecting trucking and Teamsters, and like it's not even, yeah, you can't even find the word truck on the front page of the Teamsters site. Wow, I feel like I'm going to really? find out there are Teamster doctors and pilots. Maybe, and, sure. Yeah, I don't, this is maybe, great. Maybe we're, we're yeah. all Teamsters deep down if you just reach into your soul. Maybe the real Teamster was inside us all along. <laughs> uh, do we have more to this story? Let's see. Okay, so Capaldo says that the problem, uh, again, back to these cokehead eels, uh, could be solved by more efficient wastewater treatment or people avoiding illicit drugs. Um, Daniel Snow, who is not a Game of Thrones character and is the director of the Water Sciences Laboratory at the University of Nebraska, Federico II, uh, who was not involved in this research, is skeptical the problem will be solved by stopping illicit drug use. If that was the solution, then laws would actually stop use. There is no evidence that laws actually do control use. Um, Snow, who has studied the effects of drugs and other pollutants on aquatic life before, does hope research like Capaldo's catches enough attention that people start thinking more about the consequences of things. But according to him, the solution might more likely come from engineering. You can basically treat anything to any degree of purity. It's just about how much money you want to put into the treatment process. Yeah, I can't see a lot of addicts <laughs> reading this article and being like, oh, I feel bad about eels. I'm going to stop this drug that I like. But it is a thing. Like, well, there's also been a stories of um, things like uh, um, birth control pills causing hormones to be in the water that affects the can affect the sex of fish that are born. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Okay. And in some cases, changing of sex. So we should all stop taking birth control. Yeah, or, you yeah. know, at least people who do take birth control should pee into a jar that should then be evaporated and then sent into space. Can, can they just pass that jar to someone else who wants to not get pregnant? Wouldn't that, by the transitive <laughs> property of That's drugs... That's tr- true, yeah. You could, you could also... See, this is a problem as well. Like, if you pee... If you drink the pee of someone who's taken the birth control pill, you could then test positive a birth control pill, and then you could be in trouble with your Catholic employer. That's true. That's true. They always do test for that. So again, these are all things to consider. Mm-hmm. Right. Your boss, Federico II, will be very angry with you about it. Monsignor Federico II. Hey, you know what is in trouble? What is in trouble, Matt? A star. A star? That got ripped the fuck apart. Ah. Whoa. But actually seen. This is pretty amazing. For the first time, astronomers have captured images of a jet of radio waves blasted into space when a star was ripped apart by a supermassive black hole. A dumb, stupid star got too close to a black hole. <laughs> got itself all ripped apart. It's like, yeah. There are Did warnings. Like move? There are signs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you know what... Everyone, every, every star's parent... Yeah. Tells that yeah. little stars don't go too near the black hole because you'll get sucked in. You got ripped apart. It's like going to Yellowstone. Like yes, it looks like a hot spring you want to get in. Yeah, but like read the signs. There's Just walkways for a reason. 
you think you're a good space swimmer, but you can't. You, yeah. you, it's more powerful than you think it is. <laughs> yeah. it, even when it looks calm, black holes look calm because of the whole blackness. <laughs> but there are sneaker black holes, as the signs will tell you. Yeah. Beware sneaker black holes. Yeah. And the trouble is... Not the shoe kind, but like sneaker waves. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. They, uh, and they... Uh, and they're 3D as well, so you can't even sw- you can't even go sideways to avoid them. You're still you're just stuck in their field. Yeah. <laughs> so over the this, course, sorry, what are you can no, say Alex? this does all feel like the next Pixar short. Like we're gonna see a family of stars, of stars and one of them touches kids. the black hole, and you know. Yeah. Oh, stuck. it's gonna be like one of those really sad ones. Yeah, but then, <laughs> then an upbeat thing at the end. I don't know. They'll figure it out. Yeah. They're but the first parent now. getting ripped apart, getting yeah, that'll be. Have like, we seen Coco? <laughs> Coco's so not good. sad, is it? Have you not seen it? I saw it, but I forgot if it's sad. Super it's, sad. It's sad in the middle. Yeah. It, it ends happy. I'm trying to remember if I it's cried got ha- It's got happy bits as well, but if you found none of it sad, then I'm officially diagnosing you as a psychopath. Okay. It's no, I, I'm yeah. trying to... I, I, it moved me, but like in the happy way at the end, I guess, and I forgot that they were really sad parts, but I guess that's all Pixar movies. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have, just, to, have to revisit that in a future episode of Twinsies because we got to get to the bottom of this Book of Life versus Coco thing. Oh, I don't know that oh, one. Is that a twin movie? Yeah. And for the listeners, if we haven't mentioned this for a while, but Andy has another podcast that he does with friend of the show, TJ Chambers, where called Twinsies, uh-huh. where every episode they take twin movies and talk about it. We just watched Top Gun last night. We're going to watch Iron Eagle tomorrow and do that as an episode. What is Iron Eagle? Iron Eagle came out three months before Top Gun in 1986. Wow. Lou Gossett Jr. uh, fighter pilot movie. Never heard of it. Yeah, I remember back when those both came out, like everyone was very much in the Top Gun camp because Iron Eagle used model planes and Top Gun (laughs) used actual footage. Top Gun got full assistance from the US Air Force. Yeah, it's almost like an ad for... No, I'm sorry, it's the Navy. Navy, okay. Ironically, TJ said, yeah, uh, enrollment, whatever you call it... um, went up in the in the air force after the movie he's like no the whole point of this is this is a special division of the navy but whatever yeah sure. and then i just propagated that lie yeah good fuck you navy <laughs> but um coco and book of life yeah book of life predated coco by like two or three years won a bunch of awards and was made by primarily like latino cast and production company everybody and then pixar came around and made they're both about the day of the dead both movies yeah. um Pixar came around with a almost entirely white production team and they tried to trademark the term Dia de los Muertes. No way. <laughs> I didn't a, know that. Yeah, not the not the best idea to oh, trademark man. someone else's holiday. Um, <laughs> but then there was some backlash during the production about how white it was and they hired some non-white people. And they made, they made a great movie, but like it is pretty weird that the this similar movie had been done and to great acclaim a year or two earlier but anyway they, Christmas it's yeah. worth checking <laughs> to see if anyone has <laughs> maybe it's one of those things like there. the birthday yeah, happy birthday where you don't realize you have to pay royalties every time you just say Merry Christmas so. yeah like it's owned by Coke you know? it's owned by the, the Patty Bell or what's what were the name of the sisters who owned Happy Birthday for I don't know, I don't know but they've lost oh, it now yeah, yeah. there was a documentary <laughs> that investigated it and successfully killed the trademark that's great the copyright whatever it is yeah is it Dia de los Muertes or Muertos? Muertes? I think Muertos. Muerto, Dia de los Muertos, not Muertes? Mm-hmm. I think so. What's the difference? Muerto, uh, Muertes. The difference is cultural sensitivity, Andy. Dead or death, or I don't know. Okay. Over the course of a decade, the international team of scientists watched the violent event unfold at the center of a faraway galaxy. What we're seeing is the complete and utter destruction of a star which was anywhere from two to seven times the mass of our sun says study co-author Stuart Ryder of the Australian Astronomical Observatory. Many galaxies, including our own, have supermassive black holes millions of times the mass of our sun lurking at their heart. When stars move close to black holes, they become elongated or spaghettified, sending out, in theory... (laughs) Whoa, slow down with your jargon. Have you never heard spaghettified? That's a spicy black hole. It's very, very descriptive. There we go. That's the culturally sensitive probably science we know and love. (laughs) Uh, Sending out, in theory, bright flares in the X-ray, ultraviolet, and visible light spectrum as a last desperate gasp before fingers of gas fall beyond the event horizon never to escape. Very picturesque floral Mm. language there from abc.net.au. But not all the gas... I'm going to... Say the sentence carefully. Not all the gas sucked off a star falls into the black hole. <laughs> I nearly this put a, science, yeah. I very nearly put the pause in the wrong bit of that sentence. I, I nearly just went on. But not all the gas sucked off a star <laughs> falls into the black hole. 
<laughs> According to models of these so-called tidal disruption events, about half the mass of the star gets ejected at speeds close to the speed of light. While a handful of tidal disruption events have been detected, none of the previous reports had, detect- had directly observed a radio jet, says Dr. Ryder. The discovery that's just been published in the journal Science was not what the astronomers originally set out to find. At the beginning uh, of 2005, Seppo Matila at the University of Turku in Finland and his colleagues were scanning a pair of colliding galaxies known as ARP or ARP 299, looking for signs of supernovae. Located about 150 million light years away in the constellation of Ursa Major, which is also known as the Big Dipper, ARP 299 is the birthplace of massive young stars that leave huge clouds of dust behind when they explode. Thanks to the distance and the dust, studying it is no easy feat. The dust means we need to go to longer wavelengths of light with infrared and even radio waves, which are less affected, says Dr. Ryder. The astronomers were looking on the outskirts of ARP 299 when they noticed a bright burst of infrared emissions coming from the dusty center of one of the galaxies. Six months later, observations of the galaxy using a series of radio telescopes across the U.S. known as the Very Long Baseline Array the VLBA, picked up a new radio signal from the same location. Dr. Ryder, who was also hunting for supernovae and other astronomers from the team, followed up the observations using other telescopes. Um, Over time, the infrared and radio signals became brighter. In 2011, six years later, observations showed an elongated jet-like structure streaming from the radio source. You have to be lucky when you see it. We were just fortunate, said Dr. Ryder, that this jet is angled to our line of sight enough that we can actually see it expanding with time. That's cool. So they're just a bunch of teams looking for explosions in space. That's exactly They want to observe them, and they get to do that, and that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. I can't believe that that length of time between the observations, though. That's awesome, yeah. Uh, Yep, there's more to this story, but we'll link to it on the Probably Science (laughs) show notes, the pages. Uh, see some spaghettified artist renderings. <laughs> we'll put it on probablyscience.com, uh, which is also, by the way, where you can find the donation page. That we've got quite oh, a, we've got yeah. a lot of donors to thank. I think we should do it at this point. We've got more stories we're going to do. Don't go, don't go tuning away. <laughs> Keep your hands off the dial. Uh, uh, dial me to a seven four five. I think. Hello, give me probably science podcast three zero one nine podcast. It's a. Uh, cast on an iPod. <laughs> iPod, it's a future phone, but not... It's a telephone book. No, not a telephone book. It's a telephone Usually it's with a, a record book. Pl- it's a record player that you put in your pocket and you plug your earbuds, your... Um... Thank you very much for the kind <laughs> monthly donations that have come through from Bryson Rhodes with a particularly satanic donation. Thank you very much. Keith Statenfield. Thank you, Sean Gordon, David Wirths, Peter Long, Destruction Lane, John Clarici, Mark Williams, Caroline Laco. Thank you very much for your monthly donation. And Jake Swenson as well. Very generous, both of you. Then Stephen Edmonds and also Emma Wilton. Thank you for your generous donation. There, uh, Robert Condon, uh, Trevor Hubbard, Lindsay Bacon, Peter Lipchey, Leanne Major. Uh, Oliver Force, Jonathan Waltz, and then um, is this a one-off donation here from Oliver yeah. Charlton? And then a and new from Christina Fekarata. And then a new uh, username Kitalahara has set up a new monthly donation. Thank you, Kitalahara. We very much appreciate all of that. Everyone who wishes to donate can go to the Probably Science page and click on the donation button. And remember, loose lips sink ships. <laughs> at some point in this reel, there's got to be planes flying overhead, right? Yeah. There's something with. <laughs> Duck, duck. They've keep, got us. Keep calm. And by the way, I've heard keep calm and carry on wasn't even like a big um, thing in the war. They just found the posters afterwards. Yeah. People thought it was a thing. Right? I did. I did a whole cracked video about it once. Yeah, it was not a thing at all. They like printed up the posters for the event of the Germans have fully invaded England. And oh, so we it never even got used. To put up. And so they printed a stack to have them, and then the Germans didn't invade by land. So these and were so they just, just discovered later, it. and everyone was like, this is hilarious and cool, and yeah. can easily be... A, they are, so they realized if we just change the last word at any time, we can... We can say get mugs. We can get yeah. mugs and T-shirts. And imagine the <laughs> I mean, possibilities. it was well-designed. The design of it is, is nice. Like, yeah, it's, it's a good like, typeface. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they did other posters kind of in that style and stuff. And yeah, then a bookstore found it in the year 2000 and put it in their window. And people were like, how do I put it on everything? And then they (laughs) did that. Yeah. And then the chive came along. (laughs) I just got back from a weekend with my high school friends and pretty much the entire uh, 10 person text exchange we have is just these guys sending me things from the chive, which I guess, (laughs) do you know what it is? 
No, is it? Some... There's like a version of it you'll see on it. There's Chive TV in bars, which is basically oh, ridiculous. Yeah, the bar or... we go to all right. the time for trivia has the Chive TV. As but the website the is basically like wow. safe for work boobs. So I think if you're at a desk job and you want to go yeah. look at uh, oh, so it's like girls in a bikini, but not, not, not actually naked. Um, there were a lot of magazines like that, in, mostly in the like 90s and early 2000s in Britain. I don't know how many of them there were. But like the sort of the certainly the UK version of like Maxim, oh right, and then, right, right. Yeah. and then yeah. FHM loaded. Did Maxim start in the UK? I don't know because I feel like that was something you guys had already mastered before. And like GQ was more booby as well. I think back yeah. in the day. And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. Uh, yeah, I forgot about the heyday of Maxim and FHM. And those like lads, shit. mags. Yeah, that's what they call. It. Yeah, that's what they call them in England. I don't know what the English, uh, the American equivalent of lad mag is, but. Uh... A uh, friend of the show, Sarah Morgan, used to write for Loaded. Hey, Sarah. That's one of those? <laughs> yeah. What's called kind of Loaded? Her, Back in the day, she wrote for it in the, in the late 90s and early 2000s. Was it a saucy column? She, she, was a, she was one of their staff writers, so she did all sorts of assignments, and she got sent off on assignments. She wrote wow. up stuff. Nice. i got to check that out. Um, so, uh, yeah, thank you, donors. Thank you very much for yes, your kind donations. The other way you can, of course, help us is by spreading the word, writing nice things about us on iTunes and other podcast ratings things, giving us full five-star ratings and all that kind of good stuff, and tweeting and Facebooking and generally telling people about our show. By the way, I, I met a couple of our listeners recently. Oh, nice. Uh, and I'm going to lose their names here, and I'm going to have to quickly scan through trying to find. But um, who did I bump into? Firstly... Uh oh good god. Um oh Chris Christopher Wedding, who I didn't realise was in the front row of a show I did at the comedy store and had previously written to us saying, Where can I watch comedy in town while I'm here? So hey Christopher <laughs> And then um uh Anthony O'Neill as well, who was in the audience of Jim Jeffrey show taping on Tuesday. Oh cool. So I went I out, managed oh, to man. find you how, yeah, how did that work? Because I was actually I had a different I had a friend who'd come to the taping, so I was looking for him. I came into the audience. Oh, he just yelled to your name. see him, and then he's like, "Are you Matt?" And I was like, "Hey, that's awesome!" So we got to see each other. He's over nice. from England. Oh, and they're having great trips. So yeah, uh, nice to meet both of you. It's kind of it's kind of cool to see people who listen to the show. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I just uh, I got an email from someone who's going to be at Burning Man this year, so we'll try to meet up there as well. Uh, I haven't worked out if I'm going yet. But it's possible, though? It's possible. Okay. We're on hiatus at that time, but it's whether I have too many other things to be doing. Yeah. I'll, if anyone listening is going, I, it'll be very easy to find me this time because I'm camping with Crossroads, which is that live music camp. Did you ever see their shows? The year yeah. You and this year they got prime placement on the Esplanade, like on the inner circle. So uh, they have a big stage and they have like a it's like a 20, 20 piece, piece band. covers band they have like brass wow. a brass section like singers and dancers so it's like I love it because I don't I love Burning Man but I kind of hate EDM I don't really like rave culture or EDM <laughs> which is a weird thing to go but there's so much else to do there that it's great and this this camp they play just amazing live just music like, like one night like was all Prince and, songs right, okay. like yeah it's it's great so come to Crossroads at um, 9 o'clock at Esplanade if you're coming to Burning Man and say hi. Uh, do you want to do the cane toad sausages story? Let's do it. <laughs> Friend of the show, up. Justin Broad, sent this one in. <laughs> He's always sending in lots of stories. Thank you very much, Justin. Um, yeah. How do the sausages taste? <laughs> they are stinky. <laughs> stinky sausages made of cane toad flesh have been scattered from helicopters in a wide-scale trial that researchers hope will give native animals a fighting chance. Oh, that I thought it was. I I was like sort of joking that we're making sausages out of cane toads. This is happening. Yes. Oh, boy. Here They're we go. Actually, Great. Yeah, yeah. They're stinky sausages. Oh, here we go. The sausages were airdropped across a remote Kimberley cattle station. Is Kimberley a section of Australia? A I city? presume sure. so, yeah. Um, just ahead of the cane toad front line. Um, wait. They're, wait. They're made of cane toad? Hold on a second. I didn't read this ahead of time. Uh, they were developed as part of a taste aversion program to try to prevent native species like quolls from being killed by the toxic toads. We flew over those areas and dropped the sausages about every 100 meters, and then we looked at the impact on the qual populations both before and after that event, said lead researcher David Pearson. Our trapping results aren't all that encouraging, as we didn't catch too many quals. Uh, by saying that weird, I, every time I say it, I'm not sure how I, I think that's right. Qual. There's a picture of one, and it looks... I thought the quals were quite cute, but the way this picture looks is horrendous. There's a, well, they're carnivorous. They're carnivorous marsupials, but they, oh. they are spotted and cute if you can't see their teeth. But, but like the way teeth. this this researcher is holding the qual, like by, 
I guess that's the way you hold them for safety, but it's like round the neck, and it's just got his eyes bulging and his mouth open. It just looks like this sort of... It's an upset qual. Yeah, because I, I learned what those animals are before we taped, and Andy showed me very, very cute pictures, and then Matt has shown me a terrifying yeah, picture, this so I don't know what they look like. This one's like uh, rabid looking. Okay, so uh, they said, our trapping results aren't all that encouraging as we didn't catch too many quals on either side after the toads had come through. While some of the quals did not seem too keen on the sausages, the researchers are confident the technique can be refined. Um, the first cane toads to arrive in an area are the biggest and most deadly, so the hope is that by feeding native animals cane toad meat... Okay, it is actually cane toad meat. Okay. Laced with a nausea-inducing chemical, at least one or two of the animals can be trained not to eat them. So they're going for a sort of Pavlovian aversion thing, right. where they eat the sausage and it makes them ill, and they're like, you don't I like... I don't like cane toads. <laughs> and now that we're saying this, this this sounds kind of familiar. Did, did we cover something like this before? I don't, well, here's the thing that I didn't know at all about this. So it says, after that, the researchers hope that the quoll should be able to coexist with the smaller and less deadly cane toads that follow the front line. So when cane toads invade a new territory, the most poisonous ones go first. Do they know how to put those ones up front? I, 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 well, I presume it's like most things with evolution, where it's just, yeah, it's people ascribe know, people but... ascribe intention to the way it just yeah. works out statistically. Whereas it's just it it makes sense that the most poisonous ones end up being the ones that are most able to travel, so they go in there first. Right, right, right. I would think, or something like that, anyway. So right, they're, not, like... they're not like an army with little flags and stuff. <laughs> yeah, they just yeah. know that. All right, Billy, you're it's the a, most toxic. It's a phalanx system. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, the hope is that you ruin every relationship you're in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're sending metaphorically toxic cane toads. I get it. Okay, yeah, <laughs> you're going to the front. Screw you. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. That's why we Proving need you. my point. Um, so yeah, they're hoping that they can coexist, and that technique, um, based on successful similar programs run overseas with different species, proved promising <laughs> in small scale trials done in the East Kimberley. Um, and with cane toads now about halfway across the Kimberley, which they keep calling, I should know, I should look this up. I'm sure it's a region of uh, the outback or something. Um, halfway across the Kimberley and tracking steadily towards Broom and Derby, the researchers hope the technique could help prevent localized extinctions. Um, oh, and the, the cooking process for these sausages begins at a drop-off bin at a park in Kununura, where locals deliver live cane toads that they've scooped up from gardens or roads. The toads are killed by the recommended method of freezing before Parks and Wildlife Officer Andrew Rethis starts the unenviable task of chopping them up. Uh, so we're removing oh the God. legs from the cane toads, then removing the skin from the legs to leave just the bones and meat, he said, demonstrating his amateur butchering. Why is it amateur? I think he's getting paid for this, isn't he? It's Yeah, but you're not professional a professional butchering. butcher. Well, he's a professional who's butchering. Now he's a professional butcher. Yeah, but if I do yeah. something in the cut, like... Like in the course of my job, like I'm not, I'm not a professional typist, but I do, do have type. to type, and okay. that is part of my profession. Okay, fine. He's not a professional butcher. Um, so the toads emit a strong odor as they're pulled apart. It's a pretty tough job, but it's interesting. Mister Rethis chuckled. Um, Two thousand kilometers south at the Harvey Bait Factory, the refrozen chunks of cane toad are fed into a noisy machine. Two thousand kilometers south. Yeah, it's a long distance to send. They toad should just meat. put those together. That's like, so weird. Yeah. <laughs> They're roughly chopped there, and then uh, worker Rob Brazel or Brazel is responsible for adding a crucial ingredient, a strong nausea-inducing chemical that'll make any animal that eats it temporarily sick. So we'll take the flake toad meat and put it in the mixer mincer machine, where we'll, we'll where we'll be mixing it with the thiobenzol, which is a nausea-inducing agent. Then it'll be minced out in a finer grain before we put it through the sausage making process again. We shouldn't have asked how the sausage is made, but now here we are. Uh, the sausage is then sent north again and loaded into helicopters for distribution at Theta Station. Um, the timing's critical as the sausages need to be fed to the quals just prior to the, cane t to the first cane toads arriving in the area. The researchers take turns flying in a Robinson 44 helicopter, again, needless details, uh, tossing the sausages out <laughs> into the dense bush below. The problem, if you don't drop anything out of a helicopter in the Kimberley, is that there are lots of things... The problem if, you, problem if you do drop anything out of a helicopter, there are lots of things that want to eat it. Uh, typically in the late afternoon, we'll be dropping them out of the helicopter. Some quals ate the toads, but there was not a large enough sample taken for the findings this time around to be conclusive. This seems like a very <laughs> unsuccessful study so yeah, far. Why are they... <laughs> the only thing they did successfully do is make, make and distribute sausage. sausage. <laughs> that doesn't taste good. This is an incredibly <laughs> successful sausage experiment and a very unsuccessful qual experiment. 
and crossing thousands of kilometers back and forth right. to do each yeah. step of making the sausage. Like you might have had as good an event. You might have had as much success by going up to each quell one by one and going like, no. <laughs> Showing it just a picture of a cane toad with a Ghostbusters cross through. Yeah, just like, <laughs> no. Mm-mm. You don't want it? No, no. And then, like another one with food. There. Yes, yes. No, no. <laughs> Maybe a series of uh, propaganda posters. Uh, keep calm and don't eat cane toads. Yeah. Something like that. Just leave those out. See how that takes. Um, okay. So Attention, quals. Attention, quals. <laughs> Ray, when do we get the newsreels going for yeah. the qual population? Have you seen a cane toad in your area? You might be tempted to eat it, but don't. <laughs> At least wait a couple of weeks for the less poisonous ones to come through. <laughs> Shot of the qual president waving or something. I don't know what the, <laughs> the visuals are, but you figure it out. <laughs> I love it. Thank Later. you, Justin, as always, for sending that. The king of the quals has a starter and is worried about the speech. <laughs> <laughs> Who trains quals to speak well? Yeah, how do you find it? <laughs> how do you jam marbles in a qual's mouth? <laughs> All right, so, um, yeah, if anybody's ever tried cane toad sausage, uh, email us, probably science at gmail.com. Let us know how it tastes. Pre-stinkifying, obviously. I don't know if it's a delicious meat before you put that chemical in or what. But, I'm um, sure, sure it is. Send us, send, us some qual- send us some cane toad meat. I mean, I question even needing to airdrop it. Can't you just drive a truck through there it and throw like, crates of it off the back yeah, or something? Like, have, I think they just want to do stunts of some kind. Yeah, like, they did yeah. go to trouble of, of listing, like, the the make and model of the helicopter right. and everything. Like, they just want to go on a helicopter ride. This is all an excuse for these guys to get up in the air. I don't know why they talk like that. Like, that was offensive for some reason. But... No, no, that's their real accent. I don't want to go up in the that's air. That's really like, That's my Australian accent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Australia. Oh, I feel awful now. I want to delete this, this entire episode. Um, <laughs> do we have time for one more, Matt? Or do well, we, we, got to... a cool e- we got an email from Jeremy uh, Pearson about bacteria. Oh, that's right. Read that. yeah. This is quite cool. Referencing an episode from years back. Yeah, Jeremy said, I just listened to episode 127 where you discussed bacteria that live on electricity. There are also types of bacteria that live on radiation, and one type in particular that lives at the bottom of the Mponeng. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we go. There's even a pronunciation guide afterwards. It's in South Africa, and it's. Uh, it's the only known organism that lives by itself in an ecosystem. And it's a gold mine. Did you already say that? It is. I, maybe I did. Uh, I don't know. It's, yeah, in the Mpunning wow. gold mine in South Africa. Totally by itself. Like, no other things to mate with or Evidently, get to know. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Apparently Please. so. And then this next, you can try to pronounce these next two words if you want. All right. <laughs> uh, de This is the Latin name of it. Sulfurodis aldax viator. Is a monotypic bacteria which lives in depths from one and a half to three kilometers, which is around like one to one point eight five miles uh, below the Earth's surface in the groundwater. It's the only bacterium found in water samples obtained two point eight kilometers, which is about one point seven miles underground in the Mponeng gold mine in South Africa. It's approximately four micrometers in length. It survived for millions of years on chemical food sources that derive from the radioactive decay of minerals in the surrounding rock. That's crazy. Wow. This makes it one of the few known organisms that does not depend on sunlight for nourishment and the only species known to be alone in its ecosystem. Now, is it alone because it just wants to keep all the gold for itself <laughs> and won't share? It's just... Uh, it's, very, it's like Daffy yeah, Duck uh, in that one cartoon where there's a genie and he just wants the whole cave, you know? Uh, I think it is exactly that. <laughs> I'm picturing all these back. If you go, if you zoom in close enough on all of them, they're just little golems. They're just <laughs> or Smaug or somebody who who who's a gold miser. I guess Gollum's just about the ring or something. I haven't even. I'm not even sure I've seen all those movies. Yeah. Scrooge McDuck from Scrooge the McDuck, old Tolkien sure. yes. comics. <laughs> That's, he's the bad guy from uh, Return of the King, right? Uh, uh, should we also mention Jeremy's uh, promise of a ten dollar donation? Yeah. Speci- <laughs> He's from South Africa. Jeremy's from South Africa himself. And he says he'll donate $10 if we can get Trevor Noah or Charlize Theron. So I was inclined not to have them on, but now that there's $10 in the mix. It's kind of worth it. Yeah. Why not? Sure. So Charlize, um, <laughs> when you, uh, when I'll you, answer your last email. Yes. Again, can, no follow through. Thank you for the 3D printed objects you also sent, Charlize. Yeah. <laughs> It was very appreciated, and we should have really mentioned it two years ago when you first sent them. 
She sent, uh, yeah, it was a 3D print of her prosthetic arm from Mad Max Fury Road. Thank you, Charlize. That's really cool. Uh, fine. You can come on the show. All right. We'll let it happen. <laughs> so needy. God. <laughs> I don't know what her deal is. Hey, uh, Alex. Yeah. What do you have to plug? Where can our listeners find out about everything you do? Oh, well, uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, and they can find uh, me on the Cracked Podcast, as you said. Again, you guys are great on it. They should hear that. And, yeah, my website is alexschmitty.com, and it has show dates and uh, links about me and my email newsletter and more. Excellent. Very, very cool. Yeah, go listen to that podcast. It's one of the best. Um, oh, little announcement from me. I've just found out the, the Jim Jeffrey show is now back on the air in Britain. Oh, cool. It wasn't oh, yeah. for a long time. Uh, like, this season wasn't, or what do you mean? No, season one was on for the, the first ten episodes were on, but for various contractual reasons, it started late, and they screened them in order at weekly. Rather than just putting out like a marathon of the first four and then starting on episode five, they went, nope, we'll start on episode one and put them weekly. So, oh. so it was oh. a topical show that was on air a week, about a month after broadcast, initial <laughs> broadcast, which turns out <laughs> oh, that no. doesn't work. No. So it did. So, so it was off the air for a while, and now it's back on. It's now on Comedy Central Extra on Thursday evenings and repeated Saturdays. So I just found I that gonna, out. I didn't know if Comedy Central was a channel over there. So Comedy Central, yeah, there's a UK version. So okay. look out for that now, UK listeners. You can find that. Obviously, all the uh, Australians and Canadians and obviously the Americans can find it. I think it's on in some other countries. So check those out and look out for... Um, specifically the jokes that I wrote. I'll tell you which ones are mine so you can fast forward through the rest of them. <laughs> And then I was going to plug the game show that I was a contestant on, but like I'm looking at the next couple of weeks of... I almost don't want to say which one it is in case it doesn't air, because they reserve the right not to air episodes. Oh, interesting. And I'm, um, so it's, it's not happening in the next two weeks, but if and when it does, I will let you guys know. It was a fun experience, and I'm hoping it ends up showing up. <laughs> um, and then also, as I said, the new episode of Twinsies should be out next week about Iron Eagle and Top Guns. So if you want to go watch those movies in preparation, feel free. You, you look like you were about to say another thing, Alex. No, I'm just a very eager person. <laughs> <laughs> just a good listener. <laughs> you, you can find us at, at Probably Science on Twitter, individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. You can email us, probablyscience at gmail.com. And you can also find us through Facebook, although we're less good at getting those messages. But we do. <laughs> I'm not on anymore, so it's a little Oh, yeah, Andy's off it. And I, I, I I'm do not, around I'm not bragging. Seven. I'm just glad I did it. If anybody's on the fence, you won't regret it. But yeah, any questions, comments, clarifications, or stories you think we should cover, send them all to that address, probably sites at gmail.com. And hopefully we'll fit it into the show. Yeah. Thank you, everyone who contributed. Thank you, everyone who donated. Thank you, everyone who shares the show and does all that kind of and good thank stuff. thank you for everyone who sends in Aphantasia stories, which we will do an entire episode on later Yeah, for on some reason, we, get... we got a whole flood of them, including one person who wrote in to say, neither I nor anyone I know has it. So that, that's, that's true. That. <laughs> that was a very useful email. Thank you for that. Yeah. Just in case you thought it was suddenly more prevalent than it is from the many letters yep. that we've had in. But thank you. Yes. And thank you, Alex, for joining us. Oh, no, thank you, guys. This was great. That was great. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Bye. See you next week.